You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Why don't you join me in continuing in our preaching series to the book of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we'll be reading today in 16 to 26. If you're thinking, well, didn't we do that yet? We're spending a few weeks kind of slowing down in this passage where we look at the fruit of the Spirit of the Holy Spirit and the characteristics of, of the Spirit and in, in work in our life and how that's lived out in our life. So we're going to be reading chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, he changes us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out, makes us a new person, gives us new desires and ambitions and dreams and hopes, uh, gives us a new, not just outlook on life, but new empowerment to live a life that God desires us to live. And we're taking four weeks to, to look through these, these, these fruit of the Spirit. The first week, we looked at them all in this big picture, and then we looked at the first three last week, love, joy, and peace. And today, we look at patience, kindness, and goodness. And you're thinking, great, I'm come to Sunday to hear about patience. Anybody here feel like that's, that's kind of a message you don't need to hear? Maybe you've figured that out, you've kind of, you've got that good, you, you, that part is good in your sanctification, you've perfected that. Patience, kindness, and goodness. You know, the first three, think about this, love, joy, and peace. These are like the heavenly words. These are, these are the words that kind of get you to think about the, those really beautiful characteristics of God and his nature and the spiritual words. Those are the often unseen heart-level activity that God does in our life, love, joy, and peace. And these next three kind of feel a little bit more relatable. These are more kind of ground level. If love, joy, and peace are kind of the heavenly level words, patience, kindness, goodness, this brings us right back down to earth. This is where we live. This is where we struggle. This is where we wrestle with our flesh, and we feel that wrestling every day as we go about our day. We, We know we struggle with these issues, patience, kindness, and goodness. I bet last week you may have thought, love, joy, and peace. This is interesting. I want to hear what God's word has to say about that. And today we talk about patience and it's like, please don't. Let's not do that. (laughs) Because these are the attributes of the spirit that 
that define the battle of the flesh. This is the battle of the flesh. This is where you and I live every day. We struggle to be patient. We struggle to be kind. We struggle to be good. We live in these words. I think we have uh, general ideas of what these mean, right? You could probably tell me in your own words. So what does it mean to be patient, kind, and good? Kids, young people can tell, tell me in their own words what it means and what it looks like to be patient, kind, and good. But here's my question this, this morning for us, and these come from God. How are patience, kindness, and goodness, which come from God, different from the goodness and kindness and patience that just flow from the world? How is it different? How is your day? We say, it was good. How is that good and that meaning of good different from the goodness that flows from a heart that's been transformed by God? The child calls our, our name repeatedly, trying to get our attention as we're talking to a friend, and we turn to our child saying, please be patient. Are we asking that child, would you please demonstrate a supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered attribute? No, we're just saying, could you, could you just hold on a second? So how is that different from the patience that flows from the Spirit? They have to be different. If people are able to be kind without having a relationship with God, we know that. There, people can be kind without Jesus people can do kind acts, then how is the kindness that flows from God uniquely a Christian experience? You know, these questions aren't exhaustively answered in our passage, but they do point us to some really good clues in the right direction. For instance, the exhortation in verse 25 is, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The, the fruit of the Spirit is first pointing us to the character of God. We need to remember that this is called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of us. And so first and foremost, our attention is being drawn to who God is, what he is like, so that we can look at him, appreciate him, marvel at him, worship him, honor him. Second, they point us to our struggles. The fruit of the Spirit is meant to actually point us to our struggles, kind of be a mirror to our heart, to expose the things in our life that don't match up, that are incongruent with the character of God. And thirdly, the fruit of the Spirit points us to a better way forward, better than just behavior modification, better than just changing our attitudes and our actions, but something much better. And that's what we'll look at today. First, the fruit of the Spirit here points us to the character of God. It's all easy and it's all too easy to look at patience, kindness, and goodness and say, I really need to be more patient, more kind, and more good. And that may be so. And I'm not discouraging you from, from, from feeling that way. But we would be missing the heart of the passage if we look at the fruit of the Spirit and say, first, you know, I really need to be more like this. Because these are meant first and primarily to show us what God is like. The aim is to point us to the character of God, to show us who he is. The fruit of the Spirit is patience and kindness and goodness. Let's take them one at a time, kind of looking briefly at them. Patience has a lot to do with um, 
what we think we can bear, what you and I think that we can carry on our own. And that's why uh, when we lose our patience, we say things like, I can't take it anymore. I can't bear it anymore. I can't handle it anymore. And if we don't say that, that's at least how we feel. And so patience has a lot to do with the the emotional burdens that we carry on our shoulders. And it gets to a point of max capacity and we just say, that's it, that's all I can take. And then we become impatient because that load, that, that burden is just too heavy. The Greek and Hebrew words for patience in the Bible communicate this idea of carrying a burden. And when the, when the Bible uh, talks about the patience of God, it talks often about how God is a burden bearer, how he carries the burdens of others to forbear, to endure, to carry a large backpack over long distances. This is a person who is patient. This is an action of patience to carry a burden and to not grow weary in doing it. That's what it means to be patient. God does not tell us when he looks at us and he looks at our weakness and when he looks at our sin, when he looks at our um, failures, he doesn't say and he never says, I can't take it anymore. God never gets to a point where our burdens are too heavy for him. To say that God is patient is to say that God never grows weary of carrying our burdens. He never tells us that, that our burdens are too great for him, that we've finally done it. We have finally got him to the point of exhaustion. We have finally like, misused and abused his kindness and patience. God never runs out of patience. God is patient, but not in the way that you and I might think he is patient. He's not patient like that, that we try to be patient. Like he doesn't just endure. He doesn't just put up with. He doesn't just kind of struggle through it. He is patient not because he puts up with us or just keeps his cool. God is patient because he chooses to carry our burden of sin and he never grows weary in doing so. Look at the way he describes himself He is described in Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Here is a model of God's patience. His forbearance. His carrying of the burden of our sin. You know, there's a, worldly, there's a worldly picture of patience that I think we have in our mind uh, that does not go far enough. Patience, when you think of a patient person, I want you to think about what, what, what are they doing? What's that person doing or what are they not doing? And you can just think in your own mind, like, yeah, how would I describe a patient person? For me, it's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the husband who just waits without complaining as, we, as I, you know, my my family and I just walk through the aisles of Target, you know, or something. You would look at the new Joanna Gaines, you know, exhibit. This is okay. I'm okay. This is fine. So it's like, that's the, this is like a picture of patience. Patience is, is telling us, you know, just never losing your cool when you're telling the server at the restaurant, you know, for the third time that you, you'd like a refill of coffee. 
What, what picture do you have in mind, you know, thinking about that? We might think of someone as just kind of cool, kind of calm, kind of not losing it. Anyone can do these things. You see, these things don't require the power of God. Anyone can do these things. Anyone can be patient according to the world's standards. Anyone can do that. God doesn't mean to point us to just a tidied up behavior. We're not going far enough. I hate to say it, when, but if, if the application in, in this passage is, yeah, I, I do need to not be so frustrated all the time. That's not it. Because God's agenda for us is not just to tidy up our behavior. His, his point is to point us to himself. That he is patient. That we would delight in his patience. That we would honor him. That we would worship him in his patience. That his patience would fill us and give us peace and us rest. That it would overflow into a life that is patient towards others. Because every single day, we load up burden after burden of sin and rebellion and disobedience on him, and he carries it, and he doesn't give us what we deserve. He's a patient God. He is so patient with us. He doesn't throw down our burden. He doesn't take it off of his shoulders and say, I've carried it long enough. You do it now. God never says that. He never tells us to deal with our sin. Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. God is patient. God is patient with us. I hope you see this new picture of patience. Maybe reminded of this, a refreshed vision of patience. It is not just waiting and keeping our cool but is seeing that God carries our burdens and we can also share in the burdens of others. We can carry the burdens of others out of love, out of generosity, out of kindness and goodness. You see these words go together. There's a reason why love, joy, and peace, and then patience, kindness, and goodness, these outward-facing, other people-focused fruit of the Spirit, there's a reason why they go together. This is the way that we demonstrate our faith in God we demonstrate our faith in these outward-focused actions. Patience, kindness, and goodness are action-oriented expressions of the love of God that is in us. Let's look at kindness and goodness. It's, not, it's fitting to put these two together because they have a lot in common. What, what sort of attribute does Paul have in mind when he points to the kindness and goodness of God? They seem very close to what Jesus meant when he said that we should do to others what we would desire they do to us. I've also heard, I've also heard goodness and kindness described as love in action. Patience, kindness, and goodness can be described as that, love in action. There's a reason why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind. So he's describing here again, patience and kindness together, that these are an overflow of love that is truly embraced, love that is truly experienced by God. It overflows into patience and kindness. Both kindness and goodness are the expression of outward-focused, other-oriented acts of love. 
If patience is the act of carrying someone's burden, then kindness and goodness can be the act of giving something in its place that is light and pleasant and easy. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy, my yoke, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He actually uses the word kindness there. He's, he's saying, he's using the same Greek root that we see here in kindness. His way of God is saying, my burden is kind. He's saying, I am taking your burden of sin and I'm not leaving you empty. I'm actually giving something in its place. But what I give in its place is not, it can't really be considered a burden because it's light, because it's kind, because it's easy, because it's pleasant. And so if patience is something that we take from others, then kindness and goodness is something we give back in return. Since we look at someone and say, okay, I'm, you have a burden right now. Maybe it's a fault, maybe it's a failure, maybe it's a sin. And there's something that you're doing that's bothering me. There's something that you're doing that's just irritating me and frustrating me. And instead of demanding that you carry that burden yourself, I'm going to take that for you. And in its place, I am going to give you kindness and goodness. I am going to give you something pleasant. That could be a lot of different things. For instance, we're told in Titus 3, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. God gives us his mercy. He takes our sin and he gives us mercy. When God takes from us, he never leaves us empty-handed. He always replaces it with something else. And it's always something that he gives that is good. His mercy, his kindness. So kindness and goodness are not just actions of God, but they describe God himself. Why does God give us good things? Because he himself is good. Why does he give us mercy? Because he is merciful. Why does he do kind things? Because he's kind. He himself is good. There's nothing crooked, nothing sneaky, nothing untrustworthy about God. Look at it this way. If you were with a person who was thoroughly kind and thoroughly good, you would have no reason whatsoever to be suspicious of anything that he or she did or said, right? I mean, I don't know if you know a human like that, but consider that you did. If you were in the presence of somebody that you were convinced of, everything about them is kind and everything about them is good and they cannot do anything crooked or un unkind and ungood. You have any reason to be suspicious? You have any reason not to trust? No, everything that person said, you would take and you would receive it and you would say, yeah, that, that sounds good. I'm going to follow that. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to rest in what you are saying. But we, we don't deal that way with God. God tells us things. He invites us into walking a life a certain way. He, he, he maps out a path of obedience for us. He makes promises to us. And we, we kind of double check our notes, right? We kind of like, well, let's see how this works out. I appreciate what you're saying to me. And I want to believe that. But we'll, we'll kind of, we'll see how things go. And what ultimately we're saying is, God, I don't trust you to be kind and good. I don't trust you that you are kind or good. 
Because if we believe that God was thoroughly kind and thoroughly good, then everything that came from his mouth, everything that came from his hands to us, we would not be suspicious of. We would embrace, we would see as an invitation into his joy. Even if it brought temporary, momentary discomfort and pain, we would say, but you are kind and you are good. And so I can trust in you. Have you ever felt like with God, you would say, well, what's the catch? What's his angle? What is he trying to, what's his aim? What's God want? What is he trying to do? That's suspicion. That's, that's mistrust. That's, that's a lack of faith. These are questions that we ask when we don't trust God. These are questions we ask of a person who we think are, are, are neither kind nor good. When someone tells you something and gives you advice, and you think, well, I have, I, have to, I have to think about that. It ultimately boils down to lack of trust in their ultimate kindness and ultimate goodness. But these ultimately point us to the character of God. They point us to the character of God, but they also reveal something else as we're starting to see. They point us to our struggles. They, they show and reveal kind of the areas in our life where we are wrestling, where we are needing a deeper, a deeper faith, a more mature uh, faith and, and understanding of God and how to apply um, his truth to our life. When looking at this list and diagnosing our lives, right, you're kind of looking at the list, you have to, we have to ask ourselves not just what we need, uh, what we do wrong, but we also need to ask ourselves why we do that. So if you're looking at this list and you're thinking, if we're just taking these three, patience, kindness, and goodness, and, and if you're thinking, okay, I know what I do wrong. I, I know that I'm, I, I, I need to be more patient. I, need, I know I need to be more kind and more good. We also need to ask, why? Why do we struggle with that? Why is that wrong in us? In a world of instant reactions, of social commenting, patience is sadly neglected. And so the question isn't just, what do we do that's impatient? It is, why do we do that? Why do we feel these urges in us to make people pay for their sins? And why do we feel the urges to keep kindness and goodness from them? I'm actually asking you because I don't know. Like, what is it helping? No. These are hard questions, but this is what God is inviting us to. We need to get deeper into our heart here. You may be able to point out when you're impatient during the day, but are you able to point out why? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians the reasons rooted in the false belief that we need to save ourselves. Paul points out the reason why we feel this need that others need to pay for their sins and we can't be patient and that we need to hold good from them is because we believe inherently that we're all on our own we need to save ourselves and nothing, no one is coming to help us. And we're afraid of that. And that's why Paul is so encouraging to us in this whole letter to affirm who we are, that we have a father in heaven, that we have been adopted into his family, that we are saved by grace through faith and not by our works. That there is no sin too great that causes us too far from God's grace. That there's nothing that we can do to take us away from his love. Galatians 3 verse 10 and 13 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You see, every person who looks at the law of God and then looks honestly at their heart will see an inconsistency and incongruence between the two. And inevitably, when we do that, we will get to this point in our life and we will say, I'm going to live a better life. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to give up certain things and I'm going to start doing new things. I'm going to get my life in order. And this is the natural response of us. When we look at God's word and we look at honestly at our heart, we say, that's enough. I'm going to do better. And you may do this for a while, but then you find yourself never having enough intentionality or courage or endurance. You run out of that passion juice that you had and you go back to your old habits. Or somebody gets in the way. I was, I was doing fine and my life was fine and then people showed up. and Everything would be fine if they didn't make me such an impatient person. These habits create either self-hatred when we fail or they, and create envy when we fail. They create envy when others succeed and we say, why do they get to have that and I don't? Or they create pride and division when, and rivalries when we, when we succeed. When we are good at living up to that changed life, we say, see, I can do it, and we get puffed up in pride. And it's all because we're trying to save ourselves, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting to live like that. It is exhausting to live an impatient life. It's exhausting to keep the blessings of God to ourselves. It's exhausting to not be kind and good to others. There is no patience when we're trying to save ourselves because someone is always getting in our way. When we're trying to save ourselves, somebody is always ruining our day. It's, imp- it's impossible to be, to be patient. There is no kindness when we're trying to save ourselves because all of our resources, all of our time, all of our energy, all of the gifts that God has given to us are already invested in making sure that we are comfortable and okay, and therefore we have nothing left to give for anybody else. There's no kindness when we're trying to save ourselves. We have nothing to give. We're consuming it all ourselves. There is no goodness when we're trying to save ourselves because we are too busy making sure that we don't miss out on what we need. You see, when we are so focused on the self-centered life and making sure that our life is controlled as it should be and and we don't miss out on anything, there's no patience, there's no kindness, there's no goodness. Nothing is going outward. It's all being consumed inward. And so the fruit of the Spirit points us to our struggles, not only revealing sinful behaviors, but also revealing our inability to actually do anything about it. We keep striving, we keep struggling, we keep trying, and we keep getting to the same place of needing help, needing rescue, trying to fix our failures with merely new behaviors doesn't work. Leaving today after hearing this passage and just going trying to be more patient will maybe work today, but then you'll find yourself right back at it tomorrow. It doesn't work. It leaves us exhausted. And so the fruit of the Spirit needs to point us to a different way, not to our own self, 
but points us to a better way forward. Well, Paul tells us that the Spirit of God will produce in us fruit of patience, kindness, and goodness in our lives. He's reminding us that the God of the Bible is the God who bore our sins as a patient God, who carried it himself on the cross, who died for our sins in the person of Jesus Christ. He took upon his own shoulders our sinful behaviors, but also our guilt and our shame he took upon himself all of that. He took on him, himself the punishment that you and I deserve for continuing to strive to be good and failing every day. And the fruit of the Spirit leads us directly into the arms of Jesus. It would be cruel for God to present to us, here is what I'm like, and you have failed. And ending the story there. Isn't that, that would be, that's a curse. Because not a single one of us would have hope. But God does show us. He says, I am holy. You have sinned, but Jesus saves. This is the story that we tell every single Sunday when we come in. Through our singing, through our liturgy, through our flow of our worship service, we're telling this story that God is holy, that he is patient, he is kind, he is good, he is love and joy and peace. He is all of these things, and then we are shown a mirror to our own heart, and we are meant to be drawn into reality of, of ourselves and admitting, yeah, I'm not those things. And yet God has asked me to be those things and commanded me to be those things, and, and I've really failed. I could go right down the list and just enumerate just even today how, how all nine of these fruits of the Spirit have not been present. I bet you could do that as well. And maybe you're thinking, I'm, I'm still holding on to one. I got one left. It'll be gone by lunchtime, I promise. But Jesus saves. He doesn't look at us from a distance and tell us to change our behavior or get our act together. He rushes into the chaos. He rushes into the damage. He rushes in and faces our, our greatest nightmare and death itself, and he defeats it. He rises. Jesus dies. He's buried. He raises from the grave. He fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we can have this new presence of God empowered ability to be shaped more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. He wants us to look to him and trust in him so that we will be more like him, so that we will not only glorify him but have the fullness of his joy so that we could cease from our striving so that we can be a light and salt to the world. Once we recognize what God is like, then we see how we have failed. Wanting to be more patient and kind and good is not enough because it's not about behavior modification. It's not about following the rules. It's not about being better tomorrow than you are today. It is about an inside-out change, not an outside-in change. It's an inside-out change. We are filled with his presence, and he is working on our hearts to trust more in him, to rest in him, to be convinced of who he is and what he's done for us so that we don't need people to, to be everything that we need them to be. We don't need to take care of ourselves. We don't need to depend on ourselves. We don't need to look to others uh, for our identity and our self-worth and our dignity because we look to God who created us and loved us and gave his life for us. 
We tell this story every week. God is holy. The fruit of the Spirit is about God. There is none like him. We have sinned, and the Spirit points us to our failures. Jesus saves. He takes our failures. He is slow to anger. He is quick to mercy. He is abounding in patience and kindness and goodness. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just save us for salvation's sake. He actually sends us. He sends us out into the world now as his redeemed and changed people, living in us, through us, and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yeah, we, we struggle still. We struggle with patience. We struggle with kindness. We struggle with giving good to others. All the more reason to remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us, that God's grace is more powerful in us than our sin. And so as this rest that we have in God and what he has done through Jesus, it'll change the way we look at others. It'll change the way we look at their sins. It'll change the way we look at what God has given to us, our possessions, our talents, our treasures. And we will say, as God has been patient to me, I can be patient to others. And as God has blessed me, I can bless others. This is what it means to be patient, kind, and good. Not changing our behavior first, letting God change our heart. That overflows into a life that demonstrates that we're at rest that we belong to God and he is enough.